0: Welcome to Insights with Sites, the Symphony of Scripture, a weekly podcast exploring the themes and contours of the weekly Scripture readings. For more information about the podcast or to download the companion notes, please visit slash podcast. We now join our host, the Reverend Dr. Christopher Sites. The
1: Gospel of Mark is notable for its brisk, compressed style, as we have seen, especially in chapter 1. For the first Sunday of Lent, we always have the account of Jesus in the wilderness, and Matthew and Luke give us 11 and 13 verse renditions, while Mark has but two. The 40 days The three temptations back and forth between Jesus and Satan is here a simple narrative summary. He was tempted, was with the wild beasts, and angels ministered to him. The enmity between man and animal in consequence of the fall is here gone. The prophecy of Isaiah 11 with the wolf lying down next to the lamb and a little child there in safe company, likely forms the background of Mark's terse account. The snake tempter of Eden is here without any effect. Jesus was with the wild beasts and the angels ministered to him. Notable for Mark, is that the Holy Spirit, which descends upon Jesus at His baptism, is immediately in the next verse, the same Spirit driving Him, throwing Him, in the Greek, into the wilderness. Matthew and Luke say the same thing, but the link, the close link with Jesus' baptism is not present in the same way because of their more amplified presentations. In Mark's case, less is often more. The Holy Spirit of baptism and filial declaration, you are my son, drives Jesus into a confrontation with the king of demons, Satan. And in and by that same spirit, Jesus heals and drives out demons as chapter 1 unfolds. And we have been witnesses of all that. Here is one of the places where the symphony of Scripture produces such compelling full chord music for coming alongside Mark's compressed account of baptism and wilderness authority is the pairing of Noah's flood the conclusion of that from Genesis chapter 9, with some very challenging lines from 1 Peter. 1 Peter is chosen because of the reference to baptism, such as we see it in Mark's Gospel, and its own reference to baptism as prefigured in Noah's Ark, riding high and safe above floodwaters. The seas of destruction bearing upon them eight saved, eight baptized, as it were, members of Noah's family. The cycle of the sin of Adam and evil stretches from the garden to Cain and Abel to the spread of wickedness in the wake of angelic encroachment in the sphere of mortals, as we read it in Genesis 6, immediately before the Noah story. The wickedness of man on earth and the continual evil plotting of the human heart reaches its limit for God in Genesis 6, and the decision is made to start all over again and to save Noah and his family to do that. First Peter describes this period as one in which God waited patiently. But he does not say exactly for what, and he does not clarify the period of waiting. From the time of Adam to Noah, presumably then, the for what would be for others to repent and join the eight. But only eight were saved. Here First Peter and Genesis are in full accord. Baptism is like the ark because the salvation is out of chaos and death. Peter calls it an appeal to God for a good conscience. This is a reference to the conscience of the suffering but righteous Christian he has just been commending. Christ suffered and died for all. And so the antitype, Jesus Christ, is greater and more final than the Noah type, which prefigures it. The baptism of Jesus brought with it the descent of the Holy Spirit in full measure which in turn drove Jesus to confront Satan and drive out and put on notice the demonic realm at work on earth, again as we saw it in chapter 1. We are baptized into that baptism and empowered by the Holy Spirit, given by his life and his death for us. His life and his death were a confrontation with evil and death, beginning in the wilderness and extending through his life, culminating in the cross and an empty tomb. This cosmic dimension of Christ's work is underscored in places like Ephesians 4, Colossians 2, Romans 10, and, of course, the book of Revelation, as well as in Matthew's crucifixion account with the scenes of earthquake and broken tombs and the rising of the saints at His death. What is being described in verse 19 of 1 Peter 2 has been the subject of long and enormous and conflicted discussion over the history of interpretation. With greats like Augustine changing their minds, Luther admitting the text is just not open to a convincing single interpretation, Calvin disagreeing with Aquinas and so on. This discussion opens onto notions, wider notions of the afterlife, and purgatory, the descent clause as we find it in our creed, Holy Saturday liturgies in the Eastern Church of captivity taking captive, leading even to the ambitious musings of Hans von Balthasar over Christ's work on Holy Saturday as he saw it dropped into utter deathly God forsakenness, so as to redeem all things. Now, all these topics don't trade on 1 Peter alone, of course. It's important to keep this in view, but arise from what is taken to be a wider grasp of what the time between cross and tomb and Easter morning entails in God's purposes in Jesus Christ, as the scriptures in their length and breadth are held to point to this. The listener can breathe easy, for my job is not to give a final word on this matter, though I have my own view, which I will share, but rather to try to understand first Peter in relation to the main themes of Mark and Genesis. Baptism, spiritual authority, salvation, waters of chaos returning in Noah's day, as they were once stopped at creation for a work of judgment and the waters of the Jordan releasing into our lives the spiritual authority of Jesus Christ the Savior. First Peter describes a movement from death to resurrection to ascension and exaltation over angels and authorities and powers. What began at the Jordan was prefigured in Noah And in the sacramental work of Christ, the eternal word in Israel in former days is completed by his cross, his tomb, his resurrection, and his exaltation to God's right hand. Our baptism is a baptism into that full journey of triumph. It is an appeal to God himself in and by Christ's triumph, for a conscience worthy of our present life and calling in him, a conscience he has forged for us through the resurrection which forged it and the exaltation which put paid to its power and authority in the church. If Jude 6 and Second Peter 2, verse 4 and our text are speaking of the sim, of similar things which has been held and which i believe they are the interpretation closest to hand is that the spirits in prison the phrase never refers to human beings spirits in prison are fallen angels as we hear of them in genesis 6 the fallen ones, who are responsible in part, at least culminating in the wickedness unleashed and judged in the days of Noah. Between death and resurrection, the quickened spirit of Christ made proclamation to them. The verb here isn't preach the gospel, but heralded or presented, perhaps even himself as the message, as part of the defeat of and exaltation over powers and authorities and angels. So our reading concludes. That is, there is an arc of Christ's saving work from Noah to Jordan, to cross, to tomb, and then back again in a final declaration of triumph. The spirit at work in Christ then is not quelled even in death, but continues at work until raising our Lord to His new spiritual body amongst us on Easter, and then finally lifting Him into the heavenlies to sit at God's right hand in authority. The important thing, I think, to note is how the symphony of Scripture, when properly conducted and heard, helps to clarify what are the main and reinforcing themes across passages of Scripture. There will not again be a flood to eliminate the evil that has persisted on earth and in our hearts. Instead. God will send and has sent His only Son to contend and to win, destroying death and sin, reaching all the way back to Adam and Noah, and putting Satan and the powers on notice in his life and death and rising and ascending, that this is so. Mark's linking of baptism and wilderness has to do with his terse style, but it also speaks of his conviction about what the spirits descent upon jesus was truly about first peter extends that to the spirit of christ at work in death itself a variation on this interpretation is that in this state in greek refers to his having been made alive not to his spirit preaching after death and so to his having been made alive at the resurrection the proclamation would then be himself before angels and spiritual powers opposed to him i prefer the interpretation given above but like luther will admit the passage is difficult if taken only on its own we need the wider symphony of scripture to illuminate the parts that are at times harder to understand, standing alone. Christ's life, death, resurrection, and ascension are his saving victory for us over death and the powers of death. And we have been baptized and Noah's arced into that new creation life with him The psalmist entrusts his enemies to God alone, so that they not triumph over him. Christ has become our victor, our own sins against him as we remember them from days gone by. He asks that God look at, through his love and his compassion shown in his Son, and see us in that light. The covenant with Noah has in Christ been extended to all the children of Abraham, including us far off who have been brought near. The compassion and mercy of the Lord are from everlasting and forever for those who lift up their soul to him. We hope
0: you enjoyed Insights with Sights, the symphony of Scripture. For archived episodes and notes, please visit www.wickliffcollege.ca podcast. Thank you, and we hope you tune in again. This podcast is a ministry of Wycliffe College at the University of Toronto.